This is the third Sunday of Easter, and in this cycle, we read one of the great appearance stories in the whole of the New Testament, uh, Jesus with the disciple, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's a beautiful story. Before that, I should mention that last week, the second Sunday of Easter, Low Sunday, <laughs> is uh, the time we always read about Thomas and his skepticism, and it is a reminder of the fact that people have had difficulty all along appropriating uh, the resurrection and its meaning and the whole idea of this from the beginning. And this week we're starting to get some movement in a direction which will now be part of the great 50 days in terms of the biblical witness. This will be the last resurrection appearance in the lectionary for the great 50 days. So we've had the Easter stories, and we've had the uh, resurrection appearance of Jesus with the apostles, and today Jesus appears on the road with two of the disciples as they're walking away from Jerusalem. And next week we're going to start uh, to talk about other things that help appropriate the Easter message for the church and even this week, we have the beginning of what is known as the apostolic preaching on the resurrection. So, and if you really want to amaze your friends, you can refer to it as the kerygma, which is the primitive preaching, the proclamation of the gospel. And in the book of Acts and in the reading from First Peter today, we have that. And in the reading from the gospel, we have some other things that remind us of the fourfold shape of the Easter liturgy, which comes up through the great 50 days. The light of Christ, the history of salvation, the, baptism, the sacrament of baptism, and the Holy Eucharist. So all these things come up, and they're condensed in what Father Thomas Keating refers to as the three great theological themes that are in the liturgy throughout the year. God's light, God's life, and God's love. So I will repeat this over and over again because this is a very important foundation for understanding uh, in a liturgical church how we see the year unfold and these things come up. Next year we won't read the story from uh, on the road to Emmaus on the third Sunday. We'll read another gospel. So let me say a word to you first about... Uh, the, the readings from Acts and from Peter, not specifically, but just to refer to them, because Peter is talking in both of them, in the book of Acts and in the reading from First Peter. So this is sort of biblical uh, 101 information. The book of Acts and Peter's apostolic preaching today is about the importance and the, the rehearsal of the sweep of the history of salvation. And remember, I always say that the history of salvation is certainly for Luke, who wrote Acts, as well as the Gospel according to St. Luke. It was a two-volume set. He, of all of the Gospel writers, is concerned to talk about salvation history. So today, Peter, in the book of Acts, and again in the Gospel, we're going to hear the rehearsal that what has happened here is that the apostolic preaching is going to say, you know what, if we'd have consulted our sacred literature, we would have seen all along the coming of the Christ event. 
And even in our, the sacred text of the Hebrew Bible, we as Christian people interpret these texts to see that this in fact is the case. And so in, in Luke you'll hear them say how he opened the scriptures to us, how he explained this. So Peter today is speaking about what happened, what happened through the history of the people of Israel, the people of the covenant, what, uh, what's on offer for you now. And when they ask what is it that we should do, they say, he says, repent and be baptized. Change the direction that you're looking for happiness. Be grafted onto the body of Christ and now see how you can be part of the people of God in the world. So it concludes this reading from Acts with the statement that over 3,000 people were baptized. That's pretty extravagant. About, I guess it's 15 or 16 years ago now, a famous sociologist named Rodney Stark wrote a book called Early Christianity. When I was in seminary, Stark wrote a, a sociological text with a man named Glock on American piety. And he, they were the ones that came up with the, with the study that said 85% of all people in this country claim to have had an experience of God at least once in their life. In some form. And we're not, we're, we're not talking about it uh, embedded in a particular faith tradition or anything, but some experience of God that they would uh, uh, give the appropriate attachment to and say, this, this was from something bigger than me. So Rodney Stark said, you know, I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading the early Christian literature of the first two or three hundred years. And there's a lot of conversation in there about the exponential growth of the Christian church. So I'm wondering whether or not, as a sociologist, I should be able to figure out from the literature extant whether or not these claims are justified based on what we know about the history. So the conclusion that he came to in The Rise of Christianity, which is the title of the book that he wrote 15 or 16 years ago, was, yes, this is for the most part credible. And so he said, what was it that made people interested in being part of the Christian church? And as it turned out, one, if not the most compelling thing was that Christian people were generous and self-giving and somehow uh, were there with those who were on the margins and those who needed help. In 250 A.D. or thereabouts, there was a terrible plague in Antioch. And Antioch was a big city by ancient standards. And at that time in Antioch, the most well-known, widely known physician of the Roman Empire was living there. And when the plague broke out, he fled the city. And... The Roman, in the Roman imperial system, they said, boy, you did the right thing to get out of there. Save yourself. The Christians stayed. 
and looked after those who had the plague. Many of them caught the plague and died. But the, 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 that action had a huge influence on people. And it produced many conversions. And we're beginning to see, even in the book of Acts, this kind of um, generosity of spirit that is present. So 3,000 sounds like a pretty big number, but it's not real hyperbole. It's probably more accurate than we would say. So Peter is speaking about this, and he's speaking about baptism, which is one of the four things in the shape of the Easter liturgy that is important. And in the second reading from 1 Peter, both last week and this week, we have in 1 Peter, so you can amaze your friends, this is an extended baptismal sermon. The epistle of 1 Peter is a baptismal homily. So he's talking in there about what it means uh, about baptism and what's happened to us and how we experience new life and transformation and so forth. So God's light, the illuminative processes of God that come to us through baptism and the internal spiritual state that is now present, the Holy Spirit, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us is described in some ways even obliquely today in both Acts and Peter and also the possibility that you now are empowered to be God's people in the world. So we get to the real heart of the day, which is uh, the story on the road to Emmaus. So this provides me the opportunity to say some things to you again about Luke and also some things about how to understand the Gospels and how they were put together. Luke is the historian of the New Testament. He's the Shakespeare of the New Testament. His Greek is the best. He has the best narrative style. What he did today when he wrote in, in this section of the gospel where he describes these two men on the road to Emmaus and meeting Jesus and having a conversation with him is a narrative of his construction that he used to put together the primitive nucleus historical nucleus of this, of this, what went on there. And he then writes this story in such a way as to allow Jesus to be part of the apostolic preaching, to, to give to those who heard it uh, the primitive kerygma, the proclamation of what went on. And what happens is that Jesus speaks to them about the history of salvation, and he talks to them about the scriptures and says, explains to them from Moses on that this is the case. Now, the gospel, the word gospel, means good news. But you also need to know that the gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the good news brought up to date for the people who wrote them. Luke's gospel was written in 85 AD, or thereabouts. Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven in 33 AD. So we're talking about 52 years later, two generations. So how is this event now going to be presented to the community out of which Luke's gospel emerges in somewhere in the ancient Near East? 
Well, it's going to have to do with the primitive traditions that he received, both oral and written, and it's going to fold in themes that are of interest and of concern to the individual churches out of which these Gospels emerged. So the road to Emmaus story is Luke affirming his view that history has been transformed by the mighty works of Jesus Christ and by extension as people begin to understand this and follow him on the way they now become the instruments of transformation in a world of hurt. Luke has more to say in his gospel than any other gospel writer about the issues of justice and equity and economic privation and all of the things that beset that world in which they lived in. So he's bringing the good news up to date. And something else has happened. The sacramental life has now become central to the church. So Jesus is walking on the road and he opens the scriptures to these two disciples. He describes to them the history of salvation and exegetes. He explains and interprets what has gone on. And then they plead with him to go with them home. And they sit together and Jesus is made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes are opened and they recognize who he is. So for the Lucan church, that means the Eucharist now is the centerpiece of their common worship. Baptism and Eucharist are together, like the fourfold shape of the Easter liturgy. And we see that for Christian people, the Eucharist can be a, a means of clarity. What I said on Easter, feeling better even, is a good thing to do. And it enables you to, uh, you know, uh, conform your life to God's will and purposes for you. So it tells us that the Word in the Bible and sacrament are inextricably bound together. The Episcopal Church is a church of Word and sacrament. I'm very grateful to be part of that. You know, um, up until about 40 years ago now, uh, we had kind of a bifurcation of this understanding. Many of the Protestant churches, uh, the churches of the Reformation, including the Episcopal Church in many places, not everywhere, uh, was a, a church of the, of the preaching of the Word, the Word, the Bible. That was its emphasis, not the sacramental life. You know, the Holy Communion was something you did maybe once every three months, if you, you know, needed it or not. Right? So you had that, and then in what we now call the Roman Catholic Church, you had the Mass. You had the sacraments. And there was not much focus on the Word. After the Second Vatican Council, it sort of came to some of the people who were there advising the bishops that it might be a good idea now to have a little more biblical stuff in there, and a little bit more preaching than there was before, uh, and so forth. Um, so what we have done here in the Episcopal Church is bring those things together. So we believe very keenly in word and sacrament as being absolutely central. And the gospel for today is the biblical commercial message in Eastertide for that unity. 
between word and sacrament. So this week, give thanks for God's light, God's life, and God's love. Remember that you are part of the history of salvation. Luke was at pains to tell through his gospel his own community that they together, corporately and personally, were part of the history of salvation. And that they receive their internal, spiritual, emotional and mental strength through the sacramental system, most, uh, most particularly through participation in the Holy Eucharist. So give thanks for being a part of a church where that's right at the center. Amen. Amen.